Well, good morning again. It is good to be with you, sort of, with you. It's good anyway, isn't it? I look forward to the day we're together again. You know, this sermon series that we're in the middle of through Mark, it was lined out a long time ago. Of course, God uh, spoke these words through Mark, uh, what, 1900 plus years ago, and Jesus spoke these words even before that. So we come to this place in the passage knowing that there is a history behind that and that a sovereign God has ordered that we would be in this place on this Sabbath day. Today we're looking at a, a passage that's all about betrayal. It's, it's what's in your Renew Guide. I encourage you to follow along there and follow along and take notes in your bulletin. We come to it from Mark chapter 14. We're going to pick up in verse 17 of this passage They're preparing for the Passover, and here is the word of God. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, he went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he, that is Peter, said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Father, thank you for your word that you give to us. Lord, my heart uh, is still heavy when I read of the betrayal of Jesus Christ by Judas and by Peter and the others as they turn their backs on him. Father, I'd like to think that we would never do that, and yet I know that's not true. Father, I pray this morning as we open up your word and, and we unpack it that you would transform us. Lord, that you'd pour your grace out on us. Give us the courage, Lord, to follow you more closely. Lord, be glorified in our midst. We are in great need of your grace, your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, when I think of, uh, I think of uh, betrayal, my heart, my mind uh, quickly go to the Lord of the Rings. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Uh, if you don't know that yet, you're going to catch on over the years. One of the best, not one of the best, perhaps the best movie series ever made lord of the rings right so um i mean after that what do you get you get les mis um greatest showman uh you get some jason Bourne things stuff like that 
Princess Bride, of course, is a classic. Everybody needs a Princess Bride. If you haven't seen that one, you're missing out. Last night, I got to watch The Fellowship of the Ring with Abby, my daughter. And one of the scenes in there has the, the Fellowship of the Nine, minus Gandalf, because he'd been lost in the, in the mines of Moira. And so you get, you get the other eight, and they're coming up to a beach, and they land their boats there. And Frodo, the, the ring bearer, uh, takes off into the woods. Boromir follows him. Boromir tries to convince Frodo to let him have the ring. Boromir's motives are, are not pure. Uh, he wants to take the ring so that he can have the power. Frodo's not going to give it up. Boromir comes after him, even tackles Frodo to try and retrieve the ring. Frodo slips the ring on his finger, of course, disappears and takes off over the hill. Watching this whole scene were Merry and Pippin, two other hobbits. Uh, listen, if, you're miss, if you haven't seen The Lord of the Rings, you are missing out on Merry and Pippin. Great characters. So they're, they're sitting there and they're watching the whole scene. And suddenly over another hill comes the orcs of Isengard. And they're, they're intent on capturing Merry and Pippin and carrying them back to Saruman. Boromir by this time has come to his senses. He knows that he has sought to betray Frodo. Uh, sought to betray the whole fellowship of the ring. To betray his nation. To betray himself. To betray his father. He comes to his senses and he says, what have I done, Frodo? What have I done? And he stands up and he pulls his sword and he's going to defend Merry and Pippin from a whole band of orcs. Well, let me skip towards the middle and the end of that. Merry and Pippin uh, take off. They're captured by the orcs and carried off to Isengard. Boromir takes three orc arrows in his chest, here, here, and here. And he's going down. But he's fought to the end, giving up his life for Merry and Pippin. Aragorn comes over the hill and he finds Boromir about to die. Aragorn kneels down before his friend, knowing that his friend has sought to betray them all. Boromir cries out, asking forgiveness. He confesses that he has betrayed. He knows he's betrayed not just Frodo, but Merry and Pippin and Aragorn and the whole fellowship and everyone else. He's sick with his sin and begging for forgiveness. And Aragorn... He puts his hands on Boromir's face and he holds it close. And he says, go in peace. And he bends forward and he kisses Boromir on his forehead. And with a smile and peace, Boromir, knowing that his betrayal is forgiven, he dies in peace. Nevertheless, the betrayal had consequences disastrous consequences. Betrayal does. This passage gives to us an account of not one betrayal, but at least 12 betrayals. We're going to open those up and we're going to try to answer the question what betrayal is, um, who is it that betrays, but thirdly, what, is, what does Jesus do with the betrayer and the betrayed? Because we've all been in both of those camps. What is betrayal? Well, the first one that you see automatically is, is Judas, right? I mean, Jesus even says in verse 17, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Who is it? Who is it? They want to know who is it. I'm, they're, I'm, they're sorrowful. 
Uh, and it's Judas. He's the one that's dipping his hand in, in the dish with Jesus. So what is the betrayal there? Well, the betrayal was, was begun way back in verse 4 of chapter 14 when uh, Mary comes into the room in Bethany where Jesus is gathered with his disciples. And she takes a, a jar of, uh, an alabaster jar of pure nard, a perfume ointment that was worth a year's salary. And she breaks the jar. Let's say you would open it. You would break it. You didn't unscrew the cap or pull out a cork. You had to break it. And then she anoints Jesus' head with it. A year's salary. The passage there in, in chapter 14, verse 4 to 10, tells us that, the, that many were indignant. Well, they were indignant because she was, in their minds, wasting money. But only one of them did something with that indignation, and that was Judas. For in verse, verse 10 there, it says, Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him, betray Jesus to them. Judas, his motives were indignation and greed. He was indignant because of his own self-righteousness. He thought he knew better than Jesus about what should happen with that expensive perfume. He was greedy. He wanted the money for himself, maybe for the group, but what he wanted to do was control it all. Whether, no matter who he wanted it for, he wanted to control it, right? So he's, he's, he's got a mind of control, a mind of self-righteousness, a mind of greed. And so he takes that and he turns his back on Jesus and goes to betray Jesus. That's betrayal with a high cost. He wasn't the only one. You see a second motive for betrayal down uh, further with Peter. Jesus is talking to the disciples. He said, look, you're all going to fall away because of me. And Peter, of course, says, not me, not me, not me. Well, the passage says they all said, you know, not me. They, all, they were all in the same boat. They're not going to fall away. Jesus speaking to Peter there. He says, yes, you're going to deny me, three, deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. Well, Peter being Peter is thinking, not me. Even if I die, I will not betray you. I will not turn my back on you. I will not walk away from you. And yet we read in, in all the Gospels that, that they all fled. And they left, they left Jesus alone when he was in the courtyard with a crown of thorns upon his head, being beaten, being spit upon, being mocked, being brought close to death. His disciples were gone. They left him alone. Now we know that at the crucifixion there, that, that John had returned because we see Jesus speaking to John about his relationship with Jesus' mother. Thank, th I'm thankful for John that he returned. But at this point, they have all betrayed. So what was their motive for betrayal? Their motive was fear. Peter, the others, they didn't want to experience the cost of following Jesus Christ. They were afraid that if they followed Jesus Christ, that others know they're following Jesus Christ, that they might receive what Jesus was receiving. Now, they weren't threatened. They had not been threatened. No one was threatening these guys. They wanted Jesus and Jesus alone. But their minds run away with them, and they run away from Jesus out of fear. Thankfully, there is one that does stick closer than a brother. According to Proverbs 18, that would be, that would be Jesus. One of the saddest things, the hardest things about betrayal is that it never comes from your enemies. Betrayal always involves a relationship 
with a friend, someone that's trusted. What an enemy does to you is not betrayal. Betrayal involves friendship, someone that you trust. In our context, it might look a little different. In our context, we think of betrayal, the first thing we might think of is is treason. We might think of a spy that has sold out, sold country secrets to another country, maybe. Um, Maybe we then go and we begin to think of, well, a spouse betraying another spouse through an affair, either an emotional affair or a physical affair, we think of that kind of betrayal. And those are, those are the, tougher, the tougher of the things, the harder of the things, but all betrayal is, is painful. Heather Brewer says that the worst pain in the world goes beyond the physical, even further beyond any other emotional pain one can feel, and that's the betrayal of a friend. That would involve deception. It would involve the misuse of trust. Betrayal is the misuse of of trust and everyone's impacted by that not just the person that you betray but everyone else that's that's anywhere around in those relationships is impacted by that a man seduces his secretary the secretary is married to someone else she leaves her husband she leaves the three kids She marries the boss. Later, she brings the three kids with her. There's betrayal. Who's betrayed? Who's the betrayer? The the boss that did the seducing? Yes. And the woman that accepted it? Yes. Who's harmed by it? Well, the husband that's left behind. And the three children. And everyone else in those relationships including the woman and her new husband. They're impacted by that betrayal. And not just those children, but even their children, and even to a generation beyond that, unless there's healing and restoration by Jesus Christ. Betrayal. It impacts everyone around. Betrayal can be a big deal, and we might look at it. Well, betrayal is always a big deal. We might look at it as a big deal, and there might be times when we look at it and say, well, it's not a big deal at all. But I would say to you that betrayal is always, always a big deal. It's a big deal because betrayal is first a sin against God. Yeah, it's against the the person you're betraying. Uh, It's against you, but it's against God. In in Psalm 51, after after David had betrayed not just Bathsheba, but Uriah, her husband, um, David cried out to God the Father, against you and you only have I sinned. Betrayal is a big deal because it's first a sin against God. Our betrayal of even each other might be a sin against God to begin with. It's a big deal because we're created for something higher. We're created for a loyal relationship first with God, but then also with each other. Uh, Think back with me to the garden, Garden of Eden. Okay, you've got Adam and Eve there and there's no sin. If there's no sin, there's no mistrust. There's no, there's no need to not be vulnerable with each other. There's none of that going on because there is there's this relationship of trust between Adam and Eve and God the Father. There is no, there's no sin involved there. There's only trust in this place. There's a loyal relationship and there is nothing else there. There's, there's the beauty of loyalty. I love loyalty. I hate 
betrayal. Why do we hate betrayal so much? We hate betrayal because betrayal is a sign that something's not right. It's designed that we're not living as we're called to live. We're not living as we're designed to live in our relationship with God the Father. Betrayal makes it clear that something's missing in our world. That sin has entered in and corrupted everything around us. Betrayal is a big deal. And it hurts so deeply because betrayal is first and foremost relational. It's a misuse of trust in a relationship of friendship. It's a trust that is broken in a relationship. One definition said it's doing something that's very bad and hurtful to someone that causes a loss of respect. They would say you stole from us. You betrayed our trust. And that's painful, isn't it? It is painful. It hurts so much. And it's easy for us to look at this point. I want you to stick with me here. It's easy for us to look at this point and think of everyone else or someone else that's betrayed you and to, to camp out on that individual. I want, you to, I want you to stay with me and let's take this journey a little bit further, though, okay? Because it's not just the betrayal of someone else that we need to talk about here today. That's not the only place this passage takes us. Yes, the, 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 there's Judas who has betrayed Jesus. Judas was Jesus' friend, uh, Jesus' Jesus's assistant. He was one of the 12, right? And he had been with Jesus for three years or so. He was also the treasurer of the group. Uh, he's, and he's, he's, he's betraying Jesus in the midst of having communion with him. Jesus had the 12, but then he also had the three, uh, Peter, James, and John. They were the closer friends. So the next one that you see betraying in this passage is someone that's a close friend, Peter. Put yourself in Jesus' place at that point. Your close friend that you've walked with constantly for three years is turning his back on you at your hour of greatest pain. But it wasn't just Peter, it was the other ten. The other ten left also. So far what we've seen in this passage that it's just the church leaders that, that are pictured as betraying others. All betray. There's different results to the betrayal. But at least in this picture, we have to ask the question, why? Why is Jesus giving us this picture of these 12 disciples, all of whom betrayed Jesus in one way or another at this place? I think there's four reasons at least. We could come up with others, but why this picture that Jesus has given us? Well, first, because it happened. Just because it happened. It's, it's an important part of the whole redemption story that was, that was designed before the foundation of the world. So Jesus is telling us that story uh, through Mark in this place. But a second reason, it's, it's a warning. It's a warning to apostles, to church leaders, not just to these disciples, but that later on, listen, this can happen later on. And Jesus is bringing them to this point of tension now to show them, look, you can betray me. It's possible for you to betray me. Be warned now, lest it happens later. So there's a warning to the, to the disciples, but also to church leaders. Listen, First uh, Timothy 3 and in, in, in Titus, uh, we see these qualifications of elders and deacons, which includes pastors, okay, teaching elders, ruling elders, deacons, that we are to be above reproach. 
and, and it gives other qualifications there, but the overarching qualification is that we're to be above reproach. I remember being in a doctoral class at Covenant Seminary with Brian Chapel, and, uh, and Brian looked at us. There were probably about 20 pastors in the room with him, and he said that, uh, that pastors are the greatest liars. That was painful to hear. Pastors are the greatest liars. Thankfully, he unpacked that for us. Pastors are the greatest liars because like the disciples, we're, we're trusted. We're not trusted as much as we used to be trusted in our culture. Our culture doesn't trust pastors as much as they used to, but, um, but we're trusted. So where there is a high trust, there's a high capacity to misuse that trust. Uh, I think what Brian said is, is true. Uh, I remember early as a Christian at Auburn University, I heard a pastor uh, preaching and teaching, and he, he, said that, um, he said that one of the results of the creation story where Adam takes a, or God takes a rib, rib from Adam and creates Eve, and one of the results of that is that men have one less rib than, woman, than women. And right now you're sitting on your sofa and you're laughing, right? Um, listen, I was a new believer and I had just trusted people that were telling me this story of, the, of, of salvation and Jesus. And, and there's another pastor telling me this story and I'm thinking in my head, can this be true? Wow, that's amazing. Of course, then another part of my brain, you know, goes back and remembers anatomy class and like, no, that's not true. The point is though that... That pastors are trusted. Church leaders are trusted. There's a reason that James gives us the warning in chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that what you teach will be judged with greater strictness. So, listen, there's a warning here. I think that's the second reason that Jesus gives us. Not just Judas, not just Peter, but he makes it clear to us that all of the other ten uh, walked away from him, betrayed him, as well. So there's this warning to apostles and church leaders. But listen, it's a warning to all, all that are in any place of authority or uh, a, a place of, of impact in a relationship. If you've got influence in a relationship, then it's a warning to you as well, whether you're the authority or just someone with influence. It's possible to use that influence in a wrong way to betray trust. So this is a warning to us that, that we're capable of that. Every one of us are. And think of fourth reason that's here is that we pick up here that there are no super Christians. Just because someone's a pastor or a missionary on staff at a church, just because someone's a disciple, doesn't make them a super Christian. The only one that never sinned is Jesus Christ. The only one that never betrayed anyone else is Jesus Christ. The rest of us are not super Christians. We're not uber, Christ, uber super Christians. We're not uber successful Christians. We're all guilty and we're all capable of betrayal. In fact, I would go so far as to say that we all do betray and the longer we live, the more often we're going to betray someone. It's going to happen. Our sin, each one of us, 
our sin is much worse than we know and our capability for sin is much greater than we know. Thank God that his salvation, his grace is much broader, much greater, much deeper than we can ever imagine. We are sinners. We do betray. And yet the grace of God pours out on us. We have to have that because every single one of us is guilty, just like Judas, just like Peter, just like the other 10. Listen, these were the best of the best in this passage. These were the 12, and they turned their back on Jesus. Scotty Smith said that disciples are those that screw up in public. They're those that screw up in public. They screw up in public because they're in the public eye. They're doing ministry in a public way. So when they screw up, they do it publicly. Everybody screws up. We all screw up. We all betray. I do, you do. Every time I come home after a rough day at the office, not that I ever have those because we don't get to go to the office anymore, but every time I were to, if I were to come home after a rough day at the office and, and feeling that stress and that tension, and, and I were to take it out and speak crossly to one of my children, then what I've just done is betray their trust because they're trusting me that I'm going to love them with pure love. And when I speak crossly to them, I've betrayed their trust. We're all guilty of that kind of thing, aren't we? We are. We need Jesus. We all do it. But listen, don't make the mistake of thinking that just because we're all guilty of betrayal that that makes betrayal a small thing. Betrayal is not a small thing. Let's go back to Adam and Eve in the garden, okay? Can we do that? Uh, Adam and Eve were guilty of betraying God. Adam was guilty of betraying God and Eve. You know, we know from the passage there in Genesis that, that, that Eve takes the fruit. I mean, listen, they can eat up all the fruit the world over, and there's one tree they can eat from, and that's the, that's the tree that she's got to go to. She takes the fruit and she gives it to her husband who was with her. That's what we read in Scripture, friends. So Adam's guilty. In fact, I would say that, that Adam's guilty is of a higher degree, a deeper degree, a more, a more consequential degree because he was there first. And a part of his charge was to care for Eve. And he wasn't doing that. When he takes the fruit from her, he lets her eat of the fruit. Now that's not to say that he is to be a domineering husband or that any of us should be. We're not. But he had a role uh, to love his wife well, and he didn't do it in that place. So he betrays Eve, and he betrays God. And then, and then there's the blame shift, shifting that takes place. God comes into the garden. He's looking for him. He knows where they are, but he's looking for them and to draw them out. Adam, what have you done? Well, you know, God, that woman, that woman that you gave me, she did this. So not just as he betrayed him in the beginning, but he takes the knife and he sticks it a little deeper and he twists it through his blame shifting. Because God, it's your fault. And Eve, it's your fault that I sinned. That's when betrayal takes on another level. And it's like it is taking that knife and it's twisting it a little bit deeper. Judas does the same thing. The reason it's given in Scripture for Judas' sin isn't just that Judas is a sinner, but that he had been indignant at, the, at the, the misuse, in his mind, the misuse of, of money. He didn't have control over it. He couldn't manage the situation. So he's, he's indignant, and he goes and he sells Jesus. 
It's Mary's fault for breaking the perfume jar and pouring it on Jesus' head. It's Jesus' fault for letting her do that. So he's indignant. And he betrays his Lord. Betrayal's a big deal. Even when the consequences might be small. Who betrays? We all do. I remember in the seventh grade, I was entering a new school, and I was starting school with a friend of mine that lived around the corner from me. Uh, his name was Tim. And we're sitting in homeroom that first day, and I am just as nervous as a cat in front of a pack of dogs. That's a Southern Alabama saying, if you're wondering. And so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there in this new school, in this new classroom and homeroom, and I'm nervous, I don't know anybody. And, and people start laughing about some of that. And, and Tim, wanting to, to be thought of as funny and one of the crowd, he takes his elbow and he puts it in my face really hard. And I end up with a bloody nose. Betrayal. Uh, listen, they've made TV shows about it, Mean Girls and, and TV shows about cliques. And, and many of you have experienced that in school, whether it's in elementary school or in your neighborhood or high school or middle school or, or college, even in life, we experience these cliques. And these cliques change on a dime depending on who's, who wants whose favor. You know, we've got a BFF, best friend forever one day, and the next day it's a different BFF depending on what someone else can give you. It's betrayal. The difference between that elementary school behavior or that, that high school betrayal or college betrayal and the, the adult world betrayal is that we're more selective. We control our betrayal more. but we still betray. We're more sophisticated with it, more deceptive, but we still do it, often with consequences that are far more deadly. Every time we lie to a friend, it's betrayal. Every time we're taking money for a job well done and we haven't done the job well on purpose because we've been goofing off, it's betrayal. Every time we engage in pornography, it's betrayal. Not just against the individual on the screen, but against your husband or your wife or your future wife or future husband, against your children, against your community. It's betrayal. Every time we, listen, every time we engage in gossip, every time we engage in gossip, it's betrayal. Scott Sauls calls gossip pornography of the mouth. Because we're using someone else that's not even present to make us feel better about ourselves. And that's betrayal. Betrayal of that individual. Betrayal of the person you're talking to that's engaging in it with you. We all betray. We're all guilty. What does God do with this betrayal? He doesn't just sweep it under the rug. Thank God he doesn't do that with our sin. When, there's betrayers and the betrayed, okay? There's, there's both. What does he do with the betrayers? Well, with Judas, he confronts Judas. You know, he exposes Judas. I know what you're going to do. But still, listen, still, Jesus is in the Passover meal with Judas. He's still worshiping alongside Judas knowing that Jesus, Judas is going to betray him. 
He lets Judas carry out his plan because it's a part of God's overall sovereign plan for the redemption of man. With Peter, betrayer, Jesus loves him. Jesus had served him. You look at John chapter 13. We're not going to go there today. Go there again later on. In John chapter 13, Jesus washes Peter's feet. He washes the feet of all his disciples, knowing full well that they are going to walk away from him, that they'll turn their backs on him when he's being beaten and a crown of thorns being shoved on his head. They're going to scatter. He knows that. And yet he serves them. And he calls us to do the same. We see the outcome of that in in Romans 2. We read that it is your kindness, O Lord, that leads us to repentance. It's that kind of kindness and service. So Peter, Peter is loved by Jesus. He's served by Jesus. Jesus worships with Peter. Goes through the Passover meal with Peter and with the other ten, knowing full well they're going to turn their back on him. Jesus never turns his back on them. Never. And then the day comes, we read about it at the end of the book of John, where, where Jesus restores Peter. And he takes him aside, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter denied him three times. Jesus asked him three questions. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And then he tells Peter, feed my sheep. He gives Peter that opportunity to repent, to, to recognize his love for Jesus and Jesus' love for Peter. And then he restores Peter and he gives him that charge, Peter, feed my sheep. He's restored. With the other ten, they're all restored. They're all used by Jesus to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, His love, His grace, His justice, and His mercy. Because there is sin, there is a need for atonement. Without sin, there is no need for atonement. There is no need for Jesus Christ. Because we have sinned, we have that need. Jesus fulfills that need. Listen, Jesus, what does He do with the betrayer? He takes the betrayer's sin. He takes Peter's sin. He takes the sin of the others and he takes it upon his own shoulders and he takes it on the cross and betrayer might as well be written across his chest. Betrayer. He's the betrayer. And the wrath of God is poured out on him. He takes the justice that is due the betrayer. To Adam, Adam betrays Eve and God and God covers them. He kills an animal and he covers them and forgives them and sets them aside on a right path. Now, those consequences, they're they're out of the Garden of Eden. They're moving to a new home. There's consequences, always consequences for sin. With Abe, Abraham. Abraham betrayed his wife not once but twice that we know of, probably other times, surely other times, but at least twice he tried to give away his wife I mean, think about that. Abraham, the father of many nations that we sing about. Father Abraham twice tried to give away his wife to protect his own skin. And what did God do with him? He says that it is Abraham's righteousness, or not Abraham's right, Abraham's belief that is credited to him as righteousness. He gives him that credit of righteousness. He still makes him the father of many nations. David? David takes his, one of his trusted officers, Uriah, and sends him to be killed to cover up his own sin 
at taking Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. And what does God do with David? He continues to build David up and use David as the king of Israel. And it is out of David that we, ha- we find Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. What does Jesus do with you or with me when we've betrayed him? Not if we've betrayed him, but when we betray him. Because listen, every time, every time that we betray that one that sticks closer than a brother, every time we intentionally choose to sin, Every time that we turn our back on Jesus, we're betraying him. And we might not be saying it uh, out loud. We might not be saying it with full consciousness, perhaps. But we're saying, Jesus, I'm not going to hear from you right now. I'm not going to follow you right now. I'm going to go in this direction. Or I'm going to go in this direction. I'm going to let my heart be captured over here. And when we're doing that, we're betraying Jesus. And what does he do with that? He takes our betrayal upon himself and he pays the price for it that we might have life with him forever and then he worships with us. What about the betrayed? Listen. Anytime there's a betrayer, there's a betrayed. And there's a tension here because here on earth the reality is there will be a lot of betrayal that that we will never see the consequences of we'll never see the justice given out and we might feel like someone that has betrayed us has gotten away with it and they might get away with it as far as we can see this side of heaven that's between them and god but it's hard to leave it there isn't it it's hard when you're betrayed you want revenge you want justice well, we want justice and revenge for others when they betray, but when we betray, we don't necessarily want that, right? We want mercy. Think about Ju- uh, Joseph. Joseph is betrayed by his brothers. They, they throw him in a pit. They, they sell him as a slave, and then he's, he's off into, into Egypt. You can read about the last fourth of the, of the book of Genesis. When they come back to, to Egypt later on, these brothers, and they come looking for for help, for food, you see Joseph's revengeful heart, his angry heart, want justice. And he wants, to, he, he wants them to suffer for what they've done to him. Thankfully, Joseph also has a heart of mercy. And he pours out grace upon those that don't deserve grace. They don't deserve what he's going to give them, but he gives it to them anyway. Even when he's betrayed. When Jesus is betrayed by Peter, he dies for their betrayal. When Jesus is betrayed by you and by me, he dies for our betrayal. So what about when we, when you, when I, what about when we are betrayed? What does God do with that? Well, one of the things I love about the Psalms is that it reminds us that God gives us a, a, himself as a refuge. He tells us to, to, to come to him and he'll be our refuge. He'll be our hiding place, a place where we can continually run to and hide in him. He holds us closely. He embraces us closely in that way. He is our defender. There's no defender like God is our defender. What does God do with us? But listen, for some here, 
that are listening, uh, watching this morning, we're not in the same room. I wish we were. For some of you, the pain, the pain of your betrayal is so deep that you can feel it physically, right? It hurts. It can be crushing. I've read that the impact of betrayal includes shock, it includes loss, grief, damaged self-esteem, self-doubting, it includes anger, it can produce life-altering changes. Betrayal, your innocence is stolen. You intimately know the pain of, of being abandoned. Maybe you know the pain of being deceived. Even being abused. I really wish you didn't know that pain. I really wish we were in the same room and I could look you in the eye. And I could say to you, there's one that sticks closer than a brother. There's Jesus the Christ. And he calls unto you as he, t- he tells us in Matthew 11. He calls unto you, he says, come to me. All you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you peace. Jesus calls us to come to him. He would say the same thing to us that he communicated to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. To her, he said, look, I know you've got five husbands. You've had five husbands. The one you have now isn't your husband. I know the pain that you feel of being passed from one to another, to another, to another, to another. Of being handed down and rejected. He communicated to her, I know the pain of other women in the community that won't even walk with you because I've had friends that have not walked with me. I mean, he had the the apostles, the disciples that he had lived with for three years and they turned their back on him. He knows that pain. And he communicates that to the woman at the well there in John 4. But he also says to her, he says to her, I am your Messiah. I've come to give you living water. That, that, that pain might only diminish here on earth. It might never go away completely. But my friends, there's going to come a day when, when if you've got faith in Jesus, you're going to see him face to face. And when you see him face to face, he's going to wipe away every tear from your eye. And that pain will finally be in the past. He is your Messiah. He says to me, he says to me, he says to you, he says, come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And as he did with the disciples earlier in the passage, he serves communion because he serves us himself. He gives us the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what he does with our betrayal. And that's what he does with our pain as the betrayed. Will you pray with me? Father, Lord, this is a hard passage because it brings up not just the fact that that you've been betrayed, Jesus,
but that we betray. We betray each other. Lord, we betray you. And we run and we hide from it like we run and hide from other sin. And we blame shift. And Lord, we just run from it. We don't want to admit it, Lord, but we betray you. And it brings up the pain of having been betrayed. Because all of us know what that's like. Father, Lord, I pray that you would heal the pain of being betrayed. Lord, that you would turn our faces to you and that we would know the joy of the hope of heaven. Lord, that as Aragorn looked at Boromir and said, be at peace, that we would would know your voice for us telling us, peace I give you. Not as the world gives, give I to you. My peace I give to you. Lord, you give us your peace. And I pray that we would know that and that we would walk in that and live in that. Father, if there's anyone here this morning, Lord, that has betrayed, I pray that you would move in their hearts and, and give them the courage and the grace to go and ask forgiveness. And Father, for those that have been betrayed, I pray that you would give them the courage and the grace to grant that forgiveness. And Father, you would heal us all and help us to walk in that newness of life and the peace of Jesus Christ, in whose name we live and move and have our being. Amen. Amen.